Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. And welcome to the Hobcast Book Show. It's show number 60. Number 60. I can't quite believe that. No, I can't. But anyway, welcome to the show. I'm Agent Hobart. I'm Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobart Books, UK independent publishers of the following genres. Crime. Mysteries. Suspense. And thrillers. <laughs> I was worried you'd forgotten then. Yeah, almost, almost. Well, welcome to the show. And our guest this week is Awais Khan, a Pakistani-based writer. Uh, who has a fabulous uh, couple of books out, which are, are challenging, they're literate, and they're wonderful. Yeah, very thought-provoking. Thought His most recent, No Honour, published by Arenda. Uh, but this interview is it's life-affirming, it's brilliant. It was just fun. It, the time went really quickly, as it often does when we talk to people. We didn't know what, was gonna, what we were going to talk about. And, yeah, it's just a re- another really good... Um, energetic, lively interview. And really interesting to hear the perspective of somebody fighting to get published in the UK, but from Pakistan, where there is really very little in the way of a publishing industry at the moment. So, uh, you know, the challenges and tribulations that always found, it, you know, I think you'll find inspiration in, in his tenacity and some of the, um, you know, he, plenty of turndowns along the way, but uh, eventually he found his agent and then his publisher. So yeah. it's it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a really inspiring interview. So to the news this week, and we, as you know, are very fond of Blackwell's Bookshop in Oxford. It's one of the best in the country, and it has a new owner, and you'll never guess who. I'm going to stab in the dark at Hobeck Books. Yeah, well, we couldn't quite raise the funding this time. We tried. We did try, (laughs) yeah. Spent hours putting together a bid, but Found in fact, some money down the side of the sofa. It won't surprise you to learn that Waterstones. Oh, Waterstones! Yeah, so I mean, it was on the cards, wasn't it? So yeah. Now that is uh, interesting. It's been greeted, uh, according to the bookseller, positively by the uh, publishers. Uh, we're talking about the big ones, Penguin Random House <laughs> and Harper Collins, and all those sort of people, uh, and indeed by one or two of the sort of bodies that represent authors and the independent. Independent Publishers Guild, which we're members of Mm. as well. But, I mean, it does mean that yet again there's another element of, I suppose, diversity within the UK uh, book-selling marketplace that has gone, swallowed up by Waterstones. And I suppose the hope is that they retain the culture of Blackwells because Blackwells, you know, is what, nearly 150 years since it began? Yeah, 148 years it's been within the same family. And and they did hope at one stage to have a a staff buyout, but that didn't work out. No, unfortunately. And um, so it's got this sort of culture of academia and passion for books and passion for not necessarily the mainstream books, you know, passion for anyone who's a quality writer And, and the knowledge that the staff have that we've encountered when we went to Blackwells in Oxford. Yeah. 
They're also in heifers in Cambridge, which is the equivalent, really, uh, with a fantastic reputation for, as you mentioned, academia and academic books. But in, in a more general sense, I mean, it's certainly heifers of old when I was growing up was 90 percent, you know, really quite sort of niche academic books it's become much more of a general bookseller nowadays well blackwells they've got a lot of branches at university campuses haven't they we had one mm-hmm. at exeter that's right uh, yeah. i know aberystwyth have got a blackwells um lots of campuses well i mean i'm, I'm, I'm you know they're going to keep the staff on uh, at least initially so we'll see how that develops but uh, blackwells will continue which i suppose is is a, is a positive and, mm, indeed. Uh, but uh, under the waterstones uh, leadership we'd like to celebrate at this point also an achievement for one of our former guests simon mcleave has made it to number one in the nielsen e-scan book charts which is fantastic isn't it and that, so that is a sort of the definitive chart um, yeah, I mean, you can look at your Amazon rankings, but when it boils down to it, the the chart that matters in terms of ebooks is that one, mm. and he's reached number one. So Fantastic. congratulations to him for his uh, Snowdonia crime series. Uh, it you know it's been a remarkable rise for him, and uh, continues to go to, from strength to strength. So uh, we're, we're celebrating that. Have you any news? Well, as always, I always pick up on the quirky things, don't I? So um, we've talked about this before. How um, if you're a celebrity, you get picked up for your sometimes your children's write books writing or your biography, um, and then the sort of sports stars get picked up as well, and then more recently Instagram sensations mm. as they call them. But even more recently than that, it seems to be that if you're a star on TikTok, you could get yourself a book deal. Yeah, it is the nature of branding yourself in one of these platforms uh, you know becoming a youtube star was the thing oh yeah that's then true. it was instagram and now it is tiktok yeah so, so what's the, the example well the one i saw was um man with a pot and man with a pot is a tiktok um um you know cooking so, show or yeah cooking show so i don't know if it's one man or i think it's men with a pot actually so i think it's more than one man and all it is is little videos of them cooking and I watched one this morning. Uh, they're making apple apple pie, <laughs> but it was very entertaining. But they've got a, uh, a book seal to do a cookbook now, so that's fantastic for them. I'm really pleased that there are ways to get noticed, um, get noticed, and get published by fairly ordinary people when it goes down to it. You know, yeah. So uh, well, it's good. You know, again, you know, the publishing industry are always looking for the next angle, aren't they? And that's what they've gone with. So. Uh, congratulations to them. And uh, so as a as a result of this, I thought, okay, my amen is to get um, a book deal for the Hobbit cat. So I've been doing some videos of the cat on TikTok. Endless videos of the cat Fingers are available crossed. on TikTok. <laughs> and I'm sure our nearly 400 subscribers are loving every moment of the Hobbit cat. Well, I'm hoping they're going to follow us on TikTok. Indeed. Let's get to Always <laughs> Khan. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we're... Very flattered. He listens to the show, and uh, we're really gratified that he came on the show. He's actually in London at the moment on a first-time visit for a couple of years now since the pandemic. Since clearly. the pandemic, yeah. Uh, but has uh, studied pre- in, previously at Durham University, not literature, it turns out. But um, he's also a graduate of the, the Faber Creative Writers Scheme, which is uh, you know very sought after, and has two books out. He does, and he's having a lovely time in London by all sound, by the sound of yeah, it. Yeah, so. a bit of Harry Pottage, so we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> that in a moment. Let's talk to Awais Khan. Well, it's our very great pleasure to be speaking to Awais Khan. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you so much, Adrian and Rebecca. It's really nice to be here. And thanks for having me. And you're over in London at the moment. So uh, welcome to the country. Um, you know, you find us in a, in a state of flux, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> as a country. Um, how's your journey been so far and your, your visit here? Well, I just arrived, I think, two days ago, uh, one and a half day ago. So it's been really nice. It's always fun to be back in London. And this is my first time back in two years. So uh, I, I, the last time I was here was in March 2020, right before the pandemic. So I'm really, really happy to be here. And London is like a second home for me. So, yeah. Of course, of course. And I, <laughs> we gather you've managed to squeeze in a bit of Harry Potter tourism as well. <laughs> that was the first thing I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as you got off the plane, you went straight to yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah, it was kind of like that. It was rich. I I came in the late afternoon, and the next day, early morning, it was Harry Potter. So, are you yeah, a big was, fan then of Harry Potter? I am a huge fan. I've been. I I mean, I, I was in school when it came out, so I I think I was almost the same age, so ten nine or ten when the first book came out. So I've read each of these books fifty sixty times. Each of them. <laughs> so I am a huge fan, as big as they come. <laughs> Well, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, I think my sister was about that that age when they started coming out. And uh, yeah. I remember having to take her to bookshops for midnight openings and stuff like that. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean. And, you know, the fun, uh, the, the funny thing is that I, for the longest time, I think until I turned 13 or 14, I used to actually pray that I'd get a letter someday from Professor McGonagall. I literally <laughs> believed it would happen. It was so strange, but I really did actually pray for that. Obviously, it didn't happen, but still... <laughs> Well, for my middle son, um, we, I actually fabricated a letter uh, offering him his place at Hogwarts when he was sort of applying for secondary school. So he got a letter. <laughs> he didn't believe it for a second, though. He said, oh, mother. <laughs> oh, what a shame. You'd think he'd believe. But anyway, we'll, we'll move away from um, things Hogwarts and, and Quidditch and all that stuff. Uh, and let's talk about your author career. And... Um, let's I mean let's get to the nub, nub of it I mean we, we've been taking a look at you know some of the stuff that you you, you know your previous appearances in, in the media and things and you know your journey to being a published author has not been an easy one has it because I'm mean, at one stage someone told you never to think about being an author well <laughs> tell us the story of, of, of that that yeah. how that inspired you well, absolutely. You're right, because even though, I mean, we're, we're a country of 220 million people in Pakistan, but we don't really have a lot of opportunities. We don't have any literary agents, uh, very few publishers, and the publishers we do have are so small that they can't really afford anything at all. So it's like, uh, it's, it's a very difficult world in Pakistan, despite the population. So uh, I remember when I was, uh, when I, I took the favor course when I initially started out, because I felt that that would improve my skills and everything. So after I I'd taken it and started honing my book and everything. So I started submitting it to agents. And I remember I submitted uh, it very widely. I got turned down by literally everyone. And one of them actually said that uh, uh, it's it's absolute drivel. It's rubbish. So it's probably better if you don't ever write again. So uh, it was like, it was a huge blow to me because as a Pakistani, it's so hard in any case. I mean, I, I'm not saying that it's not hard for any other writer in, in the UK or anywhere else in the world, but for Pakistanis, it's even more hard. It's harder. Mm -hmm. so I was like, you know, what, what am I even doing? Why am I even bothering with all of this? I'm just, I should just give up. And you wouldn't believe, but I'm, I mean, I'm not lying. And the very next day I got an email from Johnny Yeller uh, asking for the full manuscript. And I was like, okay, now no matter what anyone says, if Johnny Gunner thinks my book is good enough, I mean, even if he takes me on or not, I don't care. 
But if he is asked for a full manuscript, it means I'm a writer. <laughs> so after that, I didn't let anyone tell me otherwise. So yeah. Wow, that must that have been some good. 24 hour sort of swing in, in emotion. <laughs> literally was, it literally happened the next day. And there's so many things in my life that have happened like that. I, I mean, I remember when I was first, uh, <clears throat> I did have an agent and we were having a lot of trouble placing in the company of strangers with publishers in the UK. And yeah. I, I think one and a half years later, I told her that, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and self-publish it because it's not happening at all. And my agent, she said that, okay, um, I understand. Give me two more or three more weeks and then we can do whatever you want. And uh, I mean, I think a week or two later, she called me. She said that we have a deal in the UK. And uh, the very next day, she called me. She said, we have a deal with Simon Schuster as well in South Asia. <laughs> so it literally happened right before I was thinking of self-publishing. So it's like... Uh, it's really uh, amazing how things, you know, sort of work out. Mm, yeah, that is. Serendipity strikes. That is fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's always one of the things that we, we talk about on this show is about that feeling because all of us starting out writing and I'm, you know, I've got the privilege of having my own publishing company, but I still haven't published a novel <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah, you have to get past the gate though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got to get past, past Madam here. Um, but the, uh, the, the, you know, it is it is such a mountain just to get published and then, or even noticed by an agent and then to get uh, signed up is, is another thing altogether. It's such a long process. And um, as you say, from your position of trying to do this from Pakistan, much, much, much tougher, even though the potential of the marketplace is enormous, isn't it? But it's, no one seems to be really taking uh I mean, I may be wrong in this, but I just don't get the feeling that people are really investing in the talent and the opportunity that Pakistan op- uh, offers. Yeah, no, I think you have it right. You're 100% correct in saying this because uh, Pakistan is does have a lot of potential. There's so much talent in, this, uh, in, in Pakistan. And it makes me really sad when I see that all of that talent going to waste just because there are no opportunities for those writers. Uh, I do think that uh, I, I, uh, the big five, do have offices in India. So they're doing a lot for uh, regional authors and they were publishing a lot of South Asian, uh, Pakistani authors as well. But as you probably know that India and Pakistan aren't always on the best of terms. So we have a (laughs) trade ban in place. So that has uh, sort of stopped uh, any author in Pakistan uh, to get published in India because if if these publishers can't send their books to Pakistan, then what's the point of publishing Pakistani authors? Because at the end of the day, I mean, no matter how noble your intentions are, you have to eat. So they have to make a business decision at the end of the day. They can't just publish Pakistani authors and not sell any copies at all. So so that's another reason and another sort of uh, avenue that's dried up for Pakistani authors. So it's even more harder now. And mm. it's just, uh, and the government is no use. I mean, they they literally could not, could not care less because they're the ones who put the trade ban in place. So if they had any such uh, uh, thing the way they wanted to support us they would have but we don't have any prizes we don't have any grants we don't have any creative writing programs nothing at all in pakistan so yeah that's surprise. That it's tragic it is tragic it surprises me given you know who's in charge of the country in imran khan although he always catches you know he surprises me all the time anyway because you, you would think with his uh level of um his background his oxford education his time in English county cricket, you know, travelled the world, that this is the sort of thing that he would want to see happening. But that doesn't, I don't get that feeling from him at the moment. 
No, I think he's pro- quite transformed uh, as soon as he became prime minister. So it's not it's not the old Imran anymore. But I I do think I mean I think maybe he has his heart in the right place. But uh, Pakistan is not a country that you can change overnight. So it has to be done in a I don't know. I think he, at this point he's doing more harm than good. Uh, if you look at the things that are that are happening in Pakistan, the oil prices are sky high. The dollar is like the pound is two hundred thirty six rupees. Uh, one pound. So you can imagine. I'm, I, I was like, you know, if I stay in London anymore, I'll be on the streets, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's really expensive. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, there is such a a difficult geopolitical situation at the moment, and Pakistan oh, yeah. are well. I mean, they don't quite know where to point because India are quite cozy with Russia at the moment, and so mm-hmm. there's that. But there's also this antipathy towards the United States and the West after what's happened in Afghanistan and the the militants that are in Pakistan. I mean, I'm, we're going already off feast <laughs> from writing, but this is but it's important to to, it is, it is to set the context for, yeah. for for what you're trying to do creatively in the situation and the culture and the society that you're currently writing in. It, you know, it, it it's not an easy thing, especially when you're tackling with as you have with your second book. You know, the the, the question of honor and how that impacts it, women. In your society, it's it's a very powerful subject in in no honor. So, what sort of reaction when that was published did you get uh, from the Pakistan community? Because you know, there's a lot of people here who, who wouldn't want to touch that subject. Yes, uh, well, that's an excellent question, and uh, like you said, it's a, it's a very sensitive subject uh, for sure. And uh, when you, I mean, being a writer in Pakistan, you always have to be careful about. Uh, how many um, sort of eyebrows you raise? <laughs> how many how many eyebrows raise because of you? Yeah. Um, so um, so yeah. So I mean that's always a concern, but I feel that to some extent we do have a responsibility as writers to show what's actually going on in the country and not just sugarcoat it all the time. I, I mean I did get a lot of flack from some people in Pakistan who said that you know you're always portraying a bad image of Pakistan and whatever all the good things that happen in Pakistan. I'm like nobody's discounting that. Of course there are good things about Pakistan. There are good things about every country. But that doesn't mean just because there's so many good things about this that the hardships and whatever those other people are going through, 90, 90% of those people uh, were were struggling in life it doesn't mean that their life is worth nothing, that we are, we don't have a responsibility to uh, talk about how they're living and how they're struggling. So just because life is good for the top 10% doesn't mean it's good for everyone in Pakistan. So that's what I think when I'm writing. I'm like, I if I mean, if you pay attention to your, uh, to the, to your critics a lot, then you'll never have a happy day in your life. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to take it all with a pinch of salt. So... So yeah, I mean, I I, I sort of try to keep, keep take it in my stride, and uh, but uh, generally the response has been really good in Pakistan. I mean, people have been reaching out and telling me that I've tackled an important subject and I've written it sensitively, sensitively, and it's not been sensationalized. So there is a lot of praise as well. So that's good. But I, I think that's quite important, isn't it? I think if if you don't ruffle any feathers with your book, I don't think you've quite succeeded. I think you need to ruffle feathers in order to. You know, you yeah. made a mark. Well, true, true art, true art should should ruffle feathers and yeah. make people, you know, question, you know, <laughs> think again and, and and challenging questions, which I think Absolutely. you know you achieved, didn't you? I I know, and both, with both my books, so it's like literally yeah. uh, whatever I write, there is always there are always people who have a problem with it. So, so I guess that's a good thing. 
That's I think it is a good thing. No, I definitely yeah. think it is. So, <laughs> so what are you, are you working on a book at the moment? What's what's your next project? Oh yes, uh, so I had a, I have a two book deal with Orenda, so I'm writing another book for them, and uh, I'm really excited because this one is a pretty different. It's quite different from what I've written previously because this one is set between Lahore and London. So it has a little bit about uh, the immigrant experience as well as to how Pakistanis feel and uh, how they live uh, when they're abroad, when they, especially when they're in the UK. So it's a little bit about that as well. So I can't go into any further details because then I'll be giving everything away. So <laughs> <laughs> just a hint, though. But that's that's quite yeah. an exciting. Hint. Can, can we ask? Can we ask what the what the genre is, or whether you know anything I mean, I think... in that sort of bracket? Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I'm more of a commercial literary fiction guy, so mm. I, I, I don't I don't even know about that. I mean, for me, writing is all about making it accessible. I want people to be able to read my book and not have to look at the glossary or the dictionary and you know, wonder what, <laughs> what that word means. So I don't want them to do that. I just want them to, you know, read the book, have a good time reading it, and read it quickly. I want them to consider it an easy read because you know with today with all these distractions technology and instagram and social media twitter people people want easy reads something that they can dive right into and then get right out of so that's what i aim for when i'm writing as well i I think it's a myth isn't it that literary fiction has to be difficult to read or has to use words that you don't know i think that's not true at all it's about how you use language if you use language in an interesting way and a way that captures the imagination and it some, can still be understandable. And to some extent, though. that's down to theme as well. Yeah. And, you know, the, those issues that you might challenge, that's, you know. But uh, so in terms of um, that style, when you're, when you're trying, when you're revising a manuscript and, and looking at it again, what, what sort of things would you, when you look at it again and go, all right, that's coming out because I've, that's taking, me, taking the, the reader out of that feel that you're trying to create? Sorry, I think I missed your question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of when you're revising a manuscript and and, yeah. and and looking at it again, you know, when you've got your first draft and you're looking through it and maybe you're getting your edits back from your editor, what sort of um, issues second time around do you spot that uh, get in the way of, of uh, that sort of experience that you're trying to give the reader? Well, I think uh, for the... For starters, there's always so many typos that you come across. <laughs> it's like literally, I start questioning whether what why I I even am a writer. I'm like, well, who wrote this? It's like literally <laughs> so, many, so many typos. But apart from that, I mean, uh, at at some point you have to put those aside and focus on the structural issues. So I I do think that when you're self-editing, uh, those structural issues will not jump out at you uh, as opposed to if you have a reader, like for example, if you have an editor or if you have a friend who is a writer as well so if they will actually shed light to issues structural issues that you might not able not, might not be able to catch i mean i'm really good at uh, line edits i can do line edits really well but i can't do structural edits i so, i sort of struggle with that because i don't know where i'm going wrong so i need someone else's perspective here so i really like uh, working with editors and writer friends because they can offer me f- feedback that i can actually use so yeah. yeah, but then then again, I'm also very careful not to ask my regular friends to read it because they'll just tell me that this is the best thing they've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> That's when yes. the work goes to an agent or a publisher, they're like, "What rubbish is this?" <laughs> then you read. <realize, laughs> oh, no, that's true. It's like, so when Adrian has written something, if I like it, I think 
He's going to think I'm just saying I like it. So is he going to take me seriously? Well, I say, yeah, I really like that bit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite difficult, is it, when you're... Um... Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, I think some people, for them, the structure is the easy bit and it's the, the line editing is they, they can't do it because it's, you know, it just requires too much concentration they can't see that the you know the structure of a sentence particularly is catching um you know or could could be improved um whereas other you know as you say i mean that's where you feel you need the support more than anything mm-hmm. is it on the structural side um, when you were i mean I, I know that you've studied creative writing um at durham and, and, and other places and and this is a sort of you know there's a strong theme in terms of when looking at your, your biog um of sort of the self-improvement as a writer which i think is is fantastic i mean you know i would encourage all writers to keep trying to improve um have any books in that sort of field of structure or anything is there anything that you go back to and you think this is one that that helps me to uh, to to see the wood from the trees <laughs> absolutely <laughs> to quote one <laughs> um, I, i'll be honest with you i my both of my degrees western ontario and the durham university one they're not related to writing at all. <laughs> really? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. As a Pakistani, we have, a, I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Pakistani culture, but as Pakistanis, we are very much influenced by our parents because uh, even after uh, graduating and after coming back from studies, uh, most people live with their parents in Pakistan. So mm-hmm. the parents play a very integral role in uh, everything. So my parents made me uh, do a degree in economics and psychology first, and then they made me do a master's uh, in business management. I mean, they didn't make me, but they sort of suggested it. Mm. So, um, <laughs> so, yeah, so after that, I remember when I was 25, I was like, now I would like to you know, study the thing I actually wanted to study all along. So then I took the Faber course and, uh, uh, I, and I took a lot of other creative writing courses along the way as well. I kept on honing my craft and everything because, I, I mean, let's face it. Nobody's ever perfect, no matter how many books you've written. It's constant. It's a, it's a learning curve. I mean, you're always learning something or the other as a writer. So I do remember that there were two books that I do turn to. I remember there's one called The Writing Journey, The Writer's Journey. Um, it's by, I'm, I've forgotten the name of the author, but it's, uh, it's a very popular book on creative writing. It's called The Writer's Journey. And the second one is called Sin and Syntax, which is really good for typos. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, I, I have a colossal library these things oh he does he, he, I mean, he's I, a complete uh... well it's the first thing i do if i go to waterstones and the first thing i'll do is i'll go to the that section about writing how to write how to write you know next to the, the reference dictionaries uh, you know probably not far away will be the uh, the business books um and i'll try and find something new that i haven't seen before I love going to foils for that. Oh, in, in, in I love going to foils, full stop. Well, full stop. Who, full stop. Who wouldn't want to go to foils? I mean, it's, <laughs> you could spend a, a lifetime in there. But it, it, I'm always looking for that little glint in whichever book. I mean, admittedly, a lot of it's repetitive now. But, um, it, yeah, it's very important. That Faber course then, which is very famous and very prestigious, um, How's that conducted? Because I've, I've, I've not really looked into it. Is it, is it at all residential? Is it all done by correspondence? How's, how's that done? Uh, well, they have uh, they have different options. So I took the six-month online one first, uh, which I took from Pakistan. Uh, but then I took uh, the editing course uh, in their London offices. So, that, so I sort of... However, I do feel that I learned more on the online course because 
you sort of forge those connections maybe because of a six month thing so the friendships you make and the people like you get to know uh, i i took that 10 years ago i think and even today i i'm still in touch with most of those people so they're kind of like my friends so i i i met them for the first time like 5 years later or something but it literally felt like i was i wasn't meeting them for the first time it felt like like any other day so uh, so yeah so i think it, the best thing about the course uh, favor course is that it allows you that peer support so the peer support and peer feedback that you get that is so essential when it comes to writing because let's face it how much can you actually teach someone about writing yes i mean you can learn how to write and everything but at the end of the day it's a very solitary activity you are the one who has to actually put pen to paper and everything uh, and since and because it's a solitary activity you do need the support of your like minded people so i think that's what the course really uh, helps us with and that's what i loved about it mm and everyone's got their own style anyway haven't they so we all write in our own uh quirky way <laughs> well I, i think so i think so but we can also be influenced clearly and but in terms of those relationships um you know that's great that even on an online course you can build those friendships i mean you know i i was we were just reflecting on we went back to our old university last week in exeter and the friendships there the ones that those are the ones that have endured most out of my life the ones i you know the people i refer to most and talk to most i suppose outside of family life are the ones i i i still live alongside um you know you, you build those bonds but that was in a face to face context so to build them online is is fantastic so uh, i'm just by that i'm guessing they're from all over the world as well the sort of your group of course mates uh, online one yeah i i think i took the first one ever i think most uh, all of them apart from two of us were uh, most of them were based in uk and ireland one of them i i think was from russia and the other one i mean from pakistan it was me so yeah it's it, it was it's it's still predominantly uk and ireland ireland based but i think i'm sure it it's probably grown a lot over the years and it's pretty much diverse now so yeah i mean because the, the thing is that there's so many people out there and also in every country uh, who want to learn how to write and you can learn how to write i mean the people who say that writing talent is in it it's just a bunch of lies to be honest i mean if you looked at my writing from 12 years ago or 15 years ago you'd have laughed at me it was so bad so i've i've improved i've learned how to write over the years so i think that's something definitely you can do you can learn mm. and in terms of your writing uh day or your you know, your your craft i mean what's what's an average day for you in terms of of writing do you commit every day to a certain goal or is it is it more when the muse takes you no i'm i'm definitely the muse sort of person yeah <laughs> i i can go months without writing anything because i also the fact is that it's not actually to do with the muse either i'm very good at deadlines so if you put if i put put a deadline on me then i will deliver it to you on that deadline but if you don't do it then i'll put, keep dawdling and dawdling and dawdling forever that's why it's so hard uh, to uh, sort of write that first novel because you don't have an agent you don't have a publisher it's all down to you so the first book is so difficult to get out but once you have a have an agent and a publisher they keep pushing you and they're like okay please send it to me please send it to me so i i work well with that because my agent has been pestering me like anything for book 3 now she's like <laughs> almost a year when are when are you sending it to me so she keeps on giving me deadlines and but not that strong deadline the one that you know that there's mm. no, there's 
no explanation over no that's not going to get extended or whatever so i was like so she hasn't given me that yet so i'm waiting for that and then i'll be, really pull up my socks and start working oh, <laughs> yeah, no, i i i'm i'm very much you know need a deadline right upon me to uh, to to produce the goods really it's always been my way of mm, of working um you know i mean i i ra- i wish i could be that person who... but, but the thing is i don't think you should wish you, you could be that person because well, it would take a lot of stress out of my life. But then again, <laughs> I find the stress is what makes me creative. Yeah, exactly. It's when it's beaten down on you, saying, do it now, you come up with a... And yeah, so... I mean, why should writing be treated as different from any other uh, sort of career or, or opportunity? I mean, we work really well with deadlines when we're doing running a business or, or when mm. we're at a job or whatever. So I think writing can really fall into that as well and i mean it works for me i if i'm given a deadline i deliver on that deadline so yeah sure. really good for creativity fantastic i mean i i yeah i mean i could think back to my own time with essay crises oh well yeah i mean <laughs> i used to uh, i used to post on my door at exeter in my first year i used to have a sort of scoreboard telling people where i was with i'd have to write usually four essays a term and uh, you know, final, you know, important ones. And uh, I have a scoreboard on my door, you know, one and a half done, two and a half to go, <laughs> uh, 23 hours and six minutes left, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that's that's how I've always operated. I suppose I've just got to accept that that's the way it is. Yeah, so... It frustrates the hell out of people professionally, though. And it, <laughs> it frustrates you too. Well, no, because I know if I say, for example, he's proofreading one of our books at the moment, and I, and I say, if we don't get this proofread by such and such a day, mm. we can't publish in the month that we want to publish in. And he's been doing it. <laughs> yeah, <I have. laughs> Absolutely. Nothing like a good deadline. <laughs> and that's <laughs> who actually enforces that deadline on you. That's equally important, I think. You know, the, the, the importance of that person matters a lot as well, because if, if it's someone that you listen to, then you do follow that deadline. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of, um, you say you buy a lot of books and read a lot of books, who, which author do you think has been the most influential on, on inspiring you? Hmm inspiring me i remember i mean i like like we were discussing harry potter i think jk uh, harry potter is definitely a book that has really inspired me because i grew up reading harry potter so but uh, but then having said that uh, as as far as writing is concerned i remember i read donna tart's the secret history i'd read i love that book, book. Yeah, I Goldfinch. I was like, yeah, it's good. It's a good book. It's uh, it's won the award. It's good enough. I was like, okay, let's pick up uh, the secret history. Let's see what that's like. And then I couldn't put it down. I was like, this is her best book. Why isn't it this uh, more recognized than the Goldfinch? And I'm just I'm at a loss as to why uh, people don't like it more than the Goldfinch. It's the it's one of the best books I've ever. It's brilliant. I had the same experience. It was a, a colleague I worked with when I worked at Oxford University Press. She said, "Oh, you have to read this book. It's one of the best books ever written." And I thought, and it was a really tatty copy as well um, that she got from a charity shop. So I thought, okay, I've got nothing to lose. Couldn't put it down. It's brilliant. It is one. I think it's one of the best sort of because it it has got a sort of a thriller element to it, hasn't it? And it's about sort of psychology and what motivates people. It's brilliant. I love it. So good, good choice. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll have to add it to my list. Yeah, all those genres thrown together. It's kind of like a, a mixed genre book and it's really, really good. I mm. literally, one of the few books I didn't want to end. I didn't want them to, to, to end at all. And apparently yeah. it took her 10 years to write. 
Well, she did a great job then. <laughs> That's ten years well spent. <laughs> Fantastic. I think so. Yeah. In terms of you know, now that you're you're a published author and and you know, your books have gathered a lot of acclaim and 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 sort of building momentum around your career. Um, have you met any of your sort of literary contemporaries or heroes? Um, you know, in recent times, Are you, have you started to build relationships within the the, the publishing community? Well, I always like to meet uh, writers and publishers and agents. I mean, I, I am, I, I have been friends with a lot. I mean, I've, I've been doing this for what, like seven years now. I think I've been mm-hmm. coming to London seven years now. I think so. Yeah, I've been, uh, uh, I, I, I'm friends with a lot of good agents, uh, and I'm not friends with publishers as well. Even crime publishers that I have no connection with, as far as my books are concerned. But still, it's nice to meet. It's nice to network and nice to build friendships and everything so I do love to do that and uh, as far as my literary the, the the people I've grown up reading or one the ones I look up to like those writers I have yet to meet them I don't think they'd want to meet me yet <laughs> so if you're watching Donna come on over come visit <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're listening Donna then yeah I'd, I'd love to meet you <laughs> <laughs> we'll get her on the podcast <laughs> we will we'll have to yeah you can do that one <laughs> can make that approach um in terms of um where you want to take your writing next i mean obviously you've got your three book deal with arenda and that's fantastic but um have you any sort of um aspiration you know changing genre or style or anything that you 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 sort of aching to do away perhaps from sort of having the imperative of a contract um where where, where do you see you know uh things developing over the next 10 years say well i don't know but i think you probably have some sort of a i don't know how how are you managing to read my mind right now because that is exactly (laughs) what i was thinking just now that uh, i have actually i do have certain aspirations but uh, like you said i am a literary commercial fiction author and I am recognized as that, but yeah. I do have a, a penchant for writing uh, young adult dystopian why I love writing that. And so I've been working on a series that under a pseudonym, of course. Uh, so uh, mm-hmm. I've just finished the first part. I, I mean, I've been, re- I've been writing it for a very long time now, a few years now. So it's part of a trilogy and I've shown it to my agent as well. And she absolutely loved it. So it's under a pseudonym. So let's see what happens to that. But uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I'd love to sort of uh, venture out of my uh, the genre that I'm recognized in. But I don't think readers want to accept readers like that. They they feel confused if that happens. So you do definitely have to change your name or sort of use a pseudonym or something like that. That's yeah, that is a challenge. Isn't How about it? sci-fi romance? <laughs> yeah. so, sorry. Sci-fi romance. <laughs> oh yeah. So mine is mine is kind of like dystopian YA. So yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 YA. I mean, you know, it's 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 such a big market. If you can if you can capture the hearts. Oh, you have to that. get on TikTok if you're yeah into the YA. Uh, in ter- yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> question in terms of um, you know marketing efforts. Uh, I mean, how how engaged are you with social media in terms of you know getting the word out there about your your writing? <laughs> I, I love social media, to be honest. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I think people generally have a very difficult relationship with social media, but mine is pretty straightforward. I love connecting with people. I love talking to people on social media. I spend a lot of time on it. And I think that it's starting to, 
uh, uh, sort of benefit me now as well. And just, I mean, if you, even if you put book sales or writing or books aside for a bit, you connect with so many wonderful people on social media. I mean, I had no idea uh, Twitter was so amazing. And I, I mean, as good as Twitter can be, sometimes it can be very savage as well. So, <laughs> but I've discovered the good side of Twitter and I'm so glad that I did it. I've found so many wonderful writer friends on Twitter that I've never even met, but it feels like we've been friends forever. And uh, apart from that, I've also been uh, connected with a lot of people on Instagram. I've gotten invitations to uh, you know, book festivals and literary festivals through my Instagram account. So it means the social media is a very important uh, uh, tool these days and something that do, does get you noticed. I wish I knew how to do TikTok. I, I, <laughs> believe me, I want nothing more than to be that TikTok star who sells 10, <laughs> 1 to 1,000 copies or whatever. But sadly, I have only two followers on TikTok. <laughs> Oh, we'll follow you. So we, we started TikTok. Uh, well, we, we set up the account in about October and we had seven followers for three months, didn't we? Yep. And then since January, I've got really into it. And now we have 400. So we're getting there. So I'll, I'll, I'll seek you out and we'll, Hobeck will follow you. everywhere. So everywhere I'm an author. But yeah, I think I'm going to figure out TikTok while I'm in London as well. Probably make some nice videos in the sun or something. because oh, you should do. Yeah, we don't get enough of the sun in Lahore. I mean, it's very sunny, yes, it's very hot. But most of it, most of the time, we have this huge layer, thick layer of smog over the city. So it's really, really difficult to get fresh air there. So maybe I Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, my experience of, uh, of traveling around India, you know, that's that's very much, uh, you know, yeah. part of life, isn't it? But indeed, there are so many cities where that's the case. I, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about your parents, because clearly they... You know, their influence took you down a path that then when you were 25, you were able to, to pursue your dream. How do they feel about your writing now? Is it, do they see it as a, do they say, oh, you know, but what's your real, you know, your real job is X as opposed to, you know, the writing. <laughs> how, how do they react? Uh, well, not, uh, I mean, uh, I, I'll say this about my parents that uh, they've been very supportive. They're not like conventional Pakistani parents. I mean, they never stopped me. I mean, obviously, they advised me to go uh, to take this degree that this will benefit me in the future and everything. And, you know, being a 17-year-old at that time, I didn't even think twice. I was like, whatever my parents say is right. Sure. So, but after that, I mean, they never really forced anything on me. I mean, I do work in the family business a little bit. I help out and I run a creative writing program as well on my own uh, by the, under the name of the Writing Institute, which is something I want to do. Uh, to improve things in Pakistan. And I write mm. as well. They've never said anything. I mean, I don't think they read my books, but they're very, very supportive generally. So, yeah. Tell us about that then, the Creative Writing Institute that you're running. And, and you know, uh, how many students do you have? And, and, and what's that sort of opportunity? Are people, how do they responded to that opportunity? Yeah. So basically, I remember when I came back from London in 2016, I thought that there should be something like the favor thing in Pakistan as well. Of course, nobody can afford 3,800 pounds for a 600, six week, six month course. I mean, that in Pakistan, people can't. I mean, if you calculate it, I mean, even if, even if you uh, uh, multiply it by 200, that comes up to around 800,000 rupees, which a normal person, I, I'll tell you, a normal person in Pakistan earns between 20 to 25, 30,000 rupees. And so you can imagine how not everyone can afford uh, an 800,000 rupee course. So I wanted something like that. 
So I set up the writing institute and initially I didn't have a physical space. So I hosted uh, my uh, courses in hotels and conference rooms and et cetera. And it was a huge loss. I lost a lot of money initially because obviously the word of mouth wasn't there. There were very few people who showed up. Most of them didn't want to pay. So, but slowly, uh, I think a year later, I kept at it. I kept uh, incurring losses, but because I wanted to do this. And then, you know, but magically one fine day, my first course turned a profit. And then uh, ever since, it's been, uh, it, it's got more and more profitable. But in 2020, I had to shut the physical institution down because of COVID. Obviously, it didn't make sense oh. anymore. So I was like, here we are once again. I'm back to square one. But, but then someone suggested that why not try online courses because people have a lot of time these days and then you can, you can cater to a lot of people outside Pakistan as well. So I gave it some thought. I set up a website. I set up a payment system. And then I started announcing online courses. And it literally has been doing much better than my physical classes even. So it's, 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 it's done really well. And I think I've taught around uh, almost 10,000 people uh, since wow. I started. Yeah. That's astonishing. That's, that's a great achievement. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that is amazing. So, you know, have you got anybody, you know, uh, to the stage where they're they're working on their manuscripts and, and are ready to submit? Um, how, oh, yeah, how does that work? Yeah. Plenty of people. I mean, a lot of people of mine have got on to get published even. So many of my, I mean, I wouldn't take any credit myself. I mean, it's just a course uh, with me. It's a six-week, five-week course. So I can't really take the credit. But uh, it's just to show that they have so much talent that uh, they have gone on to get published. I mean, one of my uh, students was Anne Blockswitch, uh, who, whose books. Uh, oh, yes. We know Anne Blockswitch, yes. Yeah, we know Anne well, yeah. She was, she was, she was my student. And uh, Christy Newport was my student. Uh, who's now with Joff Books. So I can't, I, like I said, I'm not taking any credit at all. They were already very talented. But just to show that there are people, and there's so many people in Pakistan, uh, there's Minal Mohsen, who goes by the name Minal Man. She's also published now, and there are a lot of other people I know. So, oh, that's wonderful, isn't it? Like you say, it's, it's, it is partly about the confidence, is saying, you know, because mm. they might have just kept their manuscripts and just sat, put it in the drawer and left it there and... Are you tempted at some stage to become a publisher and, and you know? Off... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I always wanted to be a publisher, but now that I've seen how hard it is, I'm like, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, it's like the big five take everything. It's like they have control of everything. And it makes me so sad when I see such amazing books, so well-deserving books that don't get the necessary attention that they should. So I'm like, you know, I'm not coming close to this industry. There's very little money and too much hassle. <laughs> yeah, I'm beginning to think you're right. Uh... Beginning? <laughs> yeah. We always knew that, but we still did it. No, no, exactly. <laughs> That's a very fair point. Um, well, I, you know, I, I, I ask that because, you, you know, clearly you've taken a, a, a took a huge gamble with the the when you started the, the academy and, and that's, you know, and it's paid off now. Um, but in terms of giving Pakistani writers access out there, um, that is something that, you know, there needs to be a sort of Pakistani publishing. Like a link, yeah. Yeah, um, sort of uh, industry. I think which, we're saying you'd be the perfect person yeah, for the job. Yeah, we're pushing you in front of the <laughs> of that vanguard there. I'd love that, that there should be like a South Asian or Pakistani imprint of, uh, you know, UK-based publishers or whatever. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, that that would be interesting indeed, uh, especially because there are readers in Pakistan. I mean, we do have a huge issue with piracy, of course, in Pakistan, but still there yes. is a, a, a great deal of readership in Pakistan. So yeah, that's something definitely I would look into maybe in the future once I have a lot more money saved up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, well, it's something we we need to think about. Um, so. Uh, hey. Is it that time? Yeah, you know when I say that, you know, it's time for a random question and and see where this one goes. But uh, I will give it the build-up as I normally do, and I shall probably put tons of uh, audio effects all over this. But I shall now say, (laughs) Rebecca's random question. So, like I said, it came from my 12-year-old son, and I had just been moaning about the fact that summer is coming soon, and I will have to start mowing the lawn every other week and toby's question is do you like gardening yeah. no <laughs> <laughs> not all i do love i mean i do love hanging out in gardens and stuff i do like admiring flowers and admiring a well-mown lawn that's something i do like but only from a distance <laughs> well he also wants to know do you like trees <laughs> Oh, I love trees. Yeah, I absolutely love them. I, I back back when I was a kid, I think probably when I was his age, 12, 13, I had a huge infatuation with tree. I, I used to, I had a huge infatuation with botany. So I bought a book where there were different tree types and I'd, you know, roam around Lahore holding up that book and comparing those trees with what the picture said. Then I discovered trees like those pine trees and I was like, ah, okay, Lahore has pine trees. And then there were the, those, um, the ones that shed their leaves in winter. So that's something that really interested me. And then the evergreen ones. So it was like, a, it was a huge infatuation back in the day. But I think over the years, it's sort of dulled down. <laughs> now I'm not that. Climbing trees. Did you used to climb trees when you were a child? With my upper body strength, I, I, you'd be lucky to get me off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I love don't think climbing I trees. Climb. <laughs> I can imagine that, but I can't. I couldn't do it. But I could do, you know, like you. I, I didn't have the upper body strength, but also I didn't have the courage. Let's I'd be take honest. a book. I have a book and a drink, and I'd go climb a tree and sit and read in a book all day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, good luck getting me on a tree, though. You'd probably have to get a crane or something to actually get me on that tree and then get me off again. Yeah, you need a cherry picker. Me, literally. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not one for sitting in a, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's a natural environment, but no, sorry, you know, I'll be in the deck chair beneath it. No, I do love trees. I do love sitting in trees. <laughs> it looks so easy because I used to see rock climbing, and I was like, look at that. It looks like a piece of cake. You know, it looks like a cake walk, literally. And I tried it once, rock climbing, and I literally could not climb a single one of those pegs or whatever that is. I was like, what is this? What is happening to me? And they're like, now, you know, it's not that easy. <laughs> no, it isn't. It really isn't. No, it's not, not for me at all. Well, he, that's a very erudite question from Toby. Yeah. It always is with him. And I did say, I said, what if the answer's no? <laughs> Just, no, I don't like gardening. <laughs> no, I was, I, I was brought up in a family of gardeners and, uh, and as a rebel, I, I've never enjoyed it, but my sister, my God, she loves it. Oh, your sister was brilliant because she came. His sister came to visit, and she gave me all these tips. Say you need to trim that in whatever month, and you need to do something with that one, and you shouldn't have that one there. That should go over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know much about no, it. I'm, I'm ashamed of my lack of knowledge of gardening. I must admit. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, what have you got planned for the rest of your visit? 
Well, I um, I'm going to be meeting a lot of people. <laughs> Hopefully, I I'll be able to do that. <laughs> I hope I don't get COVID or anything here. But I think I've had it twice already, and I'm uh-huh. like more vaccinated. So it's like as good as it gets. I can't be any more protected than I already am. So I'm just going to throw caution to the winds and meet people and at a safe distance, maybe. And I'm supposed to be meeting my publisher, my agent, and uh, some other agents as well who are my friends. and a lot of writer friends of course uh, and uh, hopefully we will be appearing on some radio shows and some tv shows as well if all goes well so there's plenty to do and you know being in london is like a, a sort of a cure in itself i love going to that uh, i'm not i'm not sure if you uh, i mean i'm sure you know of that place uh, have you been to that brussels square so there's this uh, place called the brunswick i yes. love that place. it's like it has nando's which is my favorite restaurant in law in london Uh, so i have always had lunch at nando's and then i uh, hop on Brilliant. to the starbucks next that literally next door and i ride and i have fun it has these huge windows where you can see all the people milling about and everything so uh, so yeah so i i mean being in london in itself is kind of like amazing so i'm really looking mm. forward to spending my time here Sounds like you're going to be very busy and book shopping to fill your suitcase. Oh, oh yeah, I totally forgot that. Of course, you'll be you'll be <laughs> finding me in a bookshop, uh, in lots of bookshops, buying books. I already I was actually at St Pancras the uh, yesterday. I was buying a ticket and there was Hatchards, and I was like, there we go. So I just went in and uh, I <laughs> I looked at uh, that table display and I was like, I can't buy them all. Uh, where, how will I carry them? So I looked at uh, Laura Shepherd Robinson's book uh, that's just come out. Uh, it's called the daughters of the night and the spray sprayed edges were so beautiful i was like that's it i bought it <laughs> <laughs> sold <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i, no, I, I, I have a huge i have a thing for sprayed edges i can't resist a good sprayed edge book so yeah <laughs> <laughs> No can I. No can I actually. No. That's true. Yeah. That's true. It does make a difference, doesn't it? I mean you you were saying that you like the physical form of a book I and mean. I'm the same, you know. We are publishers I would say digital first really, but I don't own a Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm a confession. So I, mean, I do have a Kindle. I love. I mean I I I I get along on a Kindle it's fine, but nothing like an actual book. I mean there's nothing at all mm. like that. Yeah. Well, we wish you a fantastic trip and all the success for the future thank you so much it's been great having you on the show yeah, thank you so much <laughs> it's been my pleasure and thank you so much for making my sunday so cheerful and i really like uh, uh doing this and i hope that you know if uh, you uh, uh, ever visit london during this month so do get in touch i'd love to see you yeah we'll have a coffee and go to a bookshop <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> Really looking forward to it. Or we could go to Nando's on Russell Square because you'd like. Oh, that. Well, I hit Nando's last night in Sheffield. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Always. Thank you. Wonderful and positive and such a uplifting interview. Oh, he's lovely. I feel like we've made another new friend. Definitely. Yeah, we are planning. I mean, he's over here for the month, so we're being down in London. before he leaves so hopefully we'll meet up for a coffee and and a bookshop one day i think oh i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> absolutely thank you ois and uh, of course his uh, most recent book no honor is available at all good outlets absolutely well it's um it's going to be a busy week this week is it never not <laughs> yeah it is i mean i uh, i've taken i've noticed that you you work so hard and this period of the year is your is the toughest bit for you because you've got 
various things on yeah, the go, not so just Hobeck. It's the, the Writers and Artists Yearbook. I absolutely love working on this project, but January, February, March, April, May, the five months when I'm working on it, are always very busy. In March in particular, when we sort of start, just before we start proofreading it. So I've had my head in that book for a week. <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah, that's absolutely it. So you've got to double check all the info, all information that you're responsible for. Yeah, it's quite important because um, writers, um, prospective writers, they rely on that information. And if anything's not out of date or uh, untrue, then yeah, we feel very responsible for that. So, so that's what you're you're working through alongside Hobeck stuff. Um, so I'm taking on some proofreading this week. You are. I've given you a couple of projects, haven't I? You have. Now I'm not the world's natural proofreader in terms of concentration span, but so far I've done okay. I'm very impressed. Every time I've gone in the kitchen, you've been there with your headphones on, the the look of concentration on your face, and I, I can dance around naked and you wouldn't notice. You're so into your proofreading at the I moment. Am. Well, I'm working on Jonathan Peace's Dirty Little Secret, which is out pretty soon and uh, then we've got harry fisher's yes i killed her which is come going to be landing on our desks this week and yeah. so i work on that too so uh, i'm enjoying that i'm also narrating at the moment and uh, i've been working on malcolm holling drake's sin uh, this week and i just yeah this time it's i tried recording it a few weeks ago mm. and just wasn't gelling and then i've changed some equipment in the studio and suddenly the, the difference is remarkable in terms of the narration side of things. So it's just made all the difference in terms of the performance I can give. It's true. And you played an extract to me last week, didn't you? And I, I, it was amazing, in my opinion. You know, the difference, the sort of the depth to it. Yeah. It was a lot stronger, so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's something else to, to think about. Uh, you've got a fair bit of, you know, travelling to do this week as well, haven't you? Yeah, helping my mother. Um, she had a fall. She had a fall on Monday, so we're, we're popping over to the hospital on Monday. On Wednesday, I'm going to a place of higher education with my eldest child who's applying for university at the moment. So we're going to Manchester to check it out. So mm-hmm. that'll be a bit of a jolly. I'll be in Manchester on Tuesday for uh, Manchester United against Atletico Madrid. <laughs> so and I'm... you're having coffee with an old colleague, aren't you, on Tuesday? I am, so yeah, yeah. Very yeah. busy week. A busy week, but, um, you know, enjoyable nonetheless. And we're looking forward to London Book Fair, where uh, I can exclusively reveal we're going to be talking to somebody random I don't even know yet about <laughs> audiobook advice. Are you? That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm absolutely. looking forward to that. Yeah, we've already got some meetings set up and uh, more to come. So, uh, you know, that's going to be uh, it's going to be very intense three days, I think. We're going to be really, Olympia. really busy. We are. Mm. But we're looking forward to it. And, you know, we haven't been to, I haven't been to London for ages, for a couple of years nearly. Oh, I went to London fairly recently, didn't I, to go and watch uh, Sixth. Sixth? Mm. Sixth, I think it's called. The Henry VIII's Wife musical, which is brilliant. But yeah, yeah, you haven't been for a long time. No, I haven't. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends there and I'm missing them all. So it'd be good to catch up. But most of all, it's important to get some deals done while we're there. So uh, we're looking forward to London Book Fair. We're getting our uh, ducks in a row with that one, (laughs) so to speak. Anyway, (laughs) let's... um, just remind you where you can find things Hobeck online. www.hobeck.net is our home. Plenty there. New bog, blog. New blog. New blog <laughs> from you this week. Yes, I wrote a new blog. Um, yes, I just got inspired. And um, I haven't written a blog for a long time, so it was lovely to do that. And a lovely picture of Ken Masters from Howard's Way. Oh, he's a, he's a dish, isn't he? <laughs> 
He's 80s man writ large, isn't he? Anyway, uh, that was your contribution, uh, fresh contribution this week. And of course, at that website, you can find out all about our authors. We are on the cusp of another author announcement. So look out for that. Yeah, very soon. Very soon. And uh, we have uh, our audiobooks um, on display there, too, uh, of which Mark Whiteman's Waking the Tiger is now available on Audible to add to all the other platforms that it's available on. So check that out. If you buy it from our author direct website, uh, Shopfront, then there are discounts on all of our audiobooks, should you wish to listen to those. It's so. definitely worth doing. If you don't subscribe to Audible, which I know a lot of people don't, not everybody does, yeah. it's worth having a look. Absolutely. Well, that uh, leaves us to say thank you very much for joining us this week. We hope you've enjoyed the Hobcast Book Show. Next week, we are talking to one of the people behind chill with a book award <laughs> i always stumble over saying that so pauline lovely pauline she's um she set up this all all herself you know she's done it all mm. she wants to champion self-published and independent authors and independent publishers by offering this award or slightly different awards as a cover award as a book of the month the premiere award yeah, yeah. So, well quite a number of our authors won chill with the book awards in the last couple of weeks and uh, we even got uh, cover of the month for we did yeah with J Mac's cover for brian price's fatal trade was uh, uh, a, 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 the book cover of the month which is fantastic so we'll talk to pauline next week and we'll talk to you next week hopefully as well don't forget to subscribe to this podcast the hopcast book show is available on about 13 different platforms now. Subscribe wherever you got it from, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you next week. So from myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, who I'm about to cook some roast beef, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for listening, and we wish you a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit